Hey dog people of the internet, welcome to Cog Dog Radio, a podcast all about dog sports, behavior, and training. I'm your host, Sarah Stremming of the Cognitive Canine, and I can't wait to share my behavior cases, training revelations, and general geekery with you. Let's get started. Today I'm sharing a conversation I had with Ash Osborne, who's a certified pet dog trainer, knowledge assessed, as well as a Karen Pryor Academy certified training partner. Ash owns and operates Positive Pups Academy in Omaha, Nebraska, where they offer in-person as well as virtual dog training. And we jammed about all things food, food interest, food drive, and particularly how to build better food interest in dogs who seem to have low food drive. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Welcome to the podcast. Will you start by sharing your name and pronouns? Uh, My name is Ash and I go by she, they pronouns. Either is fine. Awesome. So I saw you on TikTok talking about that you like training dogs who have food refusal, low food interest, low food drive. It's certainly something that comes up for me, but I find it annoying and you like it. So here we are. You're going to talk about it. First, why do you like it? I I like a puzzle, first of all. Um, And I work mostly with pet dogs and I've been working mostly with pet dogs for a while. I'm just starting to dive into sports with my own personal dogs. So not ready to work with other people's dogs on it. So when I'm doing like the same pet stuff over and over again, it's fun, but it gets repetitive. And having that challenge of, I can't use my typical reinforcers, right? Like I, I need to figure this out, how to solve this problem, number one. And number two, if I look back on like, Every case I had in the beginning where I look back and I just cringe and I'm like, I did not do that well, that I want to call those owners and apologize to them <laughs> for the work that I did. I mean, same, same. Every single one had some element of low food drive or refusing food during training. Every single dog, whether it was consistently across the board or just every once in a while they would stop taking food or just their owners were struggling to get them to take food. So they were struggling to do the exercises. So when I'm going in and I'm like isolating that one thing and addressing it first, I, I feel very good. I'd like I'm doing something good for past me <laughs> and hoping that somebody found, found those dogs and figured it out for them um, after me. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot to that, Ash. Like I have that as well. Like when I solve a specific issue, there's one thing that I'm thinking of that when I can knock that out of the park for somebody that is literally just, it's like redemption for the cases that I totally screwed I up. I owe the universe to figure out <laughs> how to treat this food refusal problem because I didn't do it too, one too many times. I did not figure it out. And then I sat down and went, this is a problem. And I think it's a problem with most kind of newer, inexperienced positive reinforcement trainers. I think that it is probably the number one thing you're gonna see somebody who is an okay positive reinforcement trainer. Maybe they haven't been training that long. Maybe they're just kind of stagnant. Like they don't, they don't, you know, take on a whole bunch of new challenging cases. They're not interested in taking on really challenging cases. A lot of those types of trainers, that's where they're getting stuck. That is where they are hitting a wall is a dog that is just not that into food because they don't know how to address it. And it's taking away such a big tool that we have, arguably one of the main tools in positive reinforcement training. It is the big hammer. Yeah. And if you can't use the big hammer you you know this is where trainers who do use more forceful methods or they're they maybe use aversive tools or whatever this is an argument that we can come up against frequently which is if you can't motivate the dog with food well I have other hammers like I have other tools in my belt where are yours but you have tools in your belt to help that hammer work and I'm that's what I'm really interested in because I think if we can't get food to work, if we can't get the dog eating or interested in food, we are missing out on such an enormous chunk of skills that we can utilize. It goes so far beyond 
just the fact that it's the most efficient way to acquire behaviors, it, it goes so far beyond that. So I think that we need it. But backing up a little bit, I have opinions on this. I want to know your opinions on this. Why is this such a thing? Why do you think so many dogs do show up with low interest in food? Like they have to eat to live. So why? What is this? I think in the vast majority of cases, of course, there's always going to be exceptions to every single rule. Vast majority, there is some level of anxiety, either generally or around food specifically. Um, mm. So you certainly have those dogs and it's almost always like livestock guardian breeds, more independent dogs that just, they're not all that interested in food. Um, and that's kind of a separate thing. And I think it still can be worked on and we can talk about that separately, but vast majority of cases that I'm seeing, the dogs are anxious about something, whether that be an anxiety disorder. A lot of the dogs that I see with these food issues, when I refer them out to talk to a veterinary behaviorist, they come back to me on anxiety medication because they are having issues with just generalized anxiety. A lot of dogs who have anxiety specifically around food, maybe that's because the food has been paired with punishment in the past, positive or negative, because some dogs do find the unfair, in their minds, unfair, unclear withholding of food to be very punishing. Mm -hmm. And I see that a lot. No one's ever, they didn't hit their dog. You know, they weren't doing right. anything terrible to the dog, but things were really unclear. And the dog was like, this is not worth it. This is making um, me really uncomfortable and anxious because I don't know what you want me to do. And it's not worth it for me. Just being in this whole situation makes me uncomfortable. So I don't want to be a part of it. That's like unclear training coming in. A lot of what I would label like default impulse control training, like when people do a lot of covering the food, when the dog goes for food, things like that. I think we need to be more careful with that stuff than we usually are. Yep. My, I, one of my dogs, Gia, she's a little, she's my trash puppy. I call her. She's just <laughs> this little, if you imagine like a little street dog, that's Gia. She looks like you pulled her out from under the fridge and put googly eyes on it. <laughs> And she, I, way, way back when, she's pretty old now, she's like 12, um, and years and years and years ago, I hired a trainer when I was just in the very beginning of my training journey, who was a positive reinforcement trainer, who did like a, a covering the food exercise with her, um, mm -hmm. because I was having some inner household aggression issues between my dogs around food, and it was, well, let's do impulse control with all of these dogs. Mm -hmm. he did it he put the food on the floor she went for it he covered it she left the room and she did not come back out <laughs> for three hours. she was like absolutely not I love this dog already <laughs> what are you doing she and, said how dare you yeah she was like well if you don't want me to have it I won't have it <laughs> Fine. and I will not be around you that's not fair why would you mm -hmm. offer it to me and then mm -hmm. cover it up and to this day, if a, she is not a forgiving dog, you would never call her low food drive, I don't think, if you saw me working with her, because she'll be chasing food all over the place. She'd take your hand off for a piece of broccoli. Like she likes food, but if you put any pressure on her, she's going to give up. She just is not, she doesn't like it. that. She'll yeah. solve a puzzle for food. She mm -hmm. loves nose work. She loves learning new things, figuring things out, but it has to be fair in her eyes mm. and it has to be with- It has minimal. to be solvable in yeah. her eyes, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And she's really socially sensitive. So if she feels like- That's the part that makes pressure, it not solvable to yeah. her. Yeah. When you put yeah. that pressure on her, she goes, okay, you don't want me to have this and yeah. I'm a good dog. So I'm not going to touch it. Because I'm going back I'm, under the fridge. Yeah. Goodbye. <laughs> I'm going home. <laughs> I'm going to my home with the dust bunnies under the fridge. <laughs> Leave me alone. Throw me a scrap if you want to. Totally. And the other thing I think people do, and I think this is less common in the sport slash like pet plus world, but super common in like average pet owner world, is that the only time the dog's ever been offered anything really cool like hot dogs, it was because they were being put in the bathtub or being given vaccines or their nails were being trimmed, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. They can become really wary of food, which is where we have to be careful about bribing instead mm -hmm. of reinforcing. Because mm -hmm. that's 
thing and why I want to, and I see it happen like right off the bat with puppies a lot, um, going in and luring puppies over scary things to build confidence, but we're just building distrust in the food. Um, a puppy who's already confident will probably be fine, but any puppy that has the least bit of environmental sensitivities is now going, I followed this food and now I'm on this unstable teeter totter or wobble board and I crashed and it was super scary and I don't trust following food anymore. Now I don't trust food, you, things that move. (laughs) It's all scary. This was all a bad experience. This was all a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. And also I think sometimes kind of rookie attempts at counter conditioning, like the puppy's scared of something. And then that's when you bring out that food. Like I'm a huge fan of just letting puppies look at stuff and process. Like I don't want to involve my big hammer reinforcers in these situations. I want to just, uh, you know, I think that's a whole other topic and a whole other can of worms, which just tends to be what I do is just open cans of worms (laughs) and throw them around. But these are definitely ways that I think people harm their relationship, this kind of triangular relationship between them, the food and the dog. But also you said something interesting about a lot of these dogs having anxiety in kind of a general sense. And anxiety, speaking as a person who also suffers from anxiety, anxiety and your digestive response are like really closely linked. And they just like, they just are two trash piles just throwing matches at each other. And it's just like, it's chicken or the egg so often. And I think so, so many of these dogs also, if you ask the right questions, you find that they have kind of chronic GI concerns. Yep. Almost, I I would say 75% of my cases have chronic GI concerns. That's terrible, right? That's way too high. Yeah. And a lot of times it's something that the owner has really not thought about or connected. They don't. They're like, what dogs barf? Like, all the time like what I don't know yeah I mean he has diarrhea most of the time and I'm like literally they're like yeah that's what that's what that looks like no it isn't that sounds really miserable to me yeah Yeah. (laughs) sounds terrible fine I have a dog here right now I have a board and train here right now who his owners to their lovely people and to their credit they did realize it was a problem they just didn't realize it was all connected so they're trying to work on the training separately and the thing with this dog which I think is a whole nother can with the anxiety is that his anxiety doesn't prevent present as fearfulness it presents as being really excited. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nonstop. Really Nonstop dog. Mm-hmm. Out of control excited. Uh, humping your leg excited, pulling you to the ground, biting your clothes. Golden Retriever, the cutest dog I've ever seen. Yeah. He is adorable. He looks like a stuffed animal. But he, he is like breaking my kneecaps, slamming into my legs. Uh-huh. And it's oh yeah well you know he pukes all the time he has diarrhea all the time he's on prescription food he can't eat anything any morsel of food outside of his prescription diet will land him in the urgent care being monitored for how much how bloated he is from gas and now it's presenting as this behavior problem that looks like an excited distractible puppy but is just a very anxious, unwell. Unwell. Yeah. That's the word I was thinking of. And a lot of the times, you know, I think that's an extreme case that where the veterinary team, I think needs to be kind of pushed to do a little bit more for that dog. A lot of times though, if we treat the GI, the anxiety gets better. The food interest gets better. Everything gets better. So we really need our vet team involved on that. And we need the owners to know that it's okay to push them. Like, it's okay to say, Hey, I know we're on the prescription food. I know we're doing this, but like, this still isn't okay for us. Yeah. 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 And I think a lot of people do need a push and being, I, being also a chronically ill person, sometimes it takes someone saying, Hey, that's actually, I know that the doctor was like, Hey, um, yeah, this should be working. I don't know. 
you you shouldn't be uh feeling like you're gonna pass out all the time if you're drinking enough water i don't I'm know. feeling triggered ash i'm feeling <laughs> i'm feeling triggered by these doctor conversations <laughs> Uh, but it's like do the same thing have you tried and, the south beach diet <laughs> right i mean you know, has the dog tried like the south beach just sit down you know it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> if you can't stand in the line at the grocery store maybe just sit down and it's fine there's usually a, like a coke bridge thing you could probably lean on we just went off that was that was good though so yeah, when dogs are chronically ill, and that's what that is, that's what you're talking about. Of course, they're maybe not hungry. And yeah. sometimes it's not that easy to notice. And I've definitely, I've talked to uh, my friend Amy Cook about this a little bit that she and I are both seeing in our practices, if we can get the owner to chat with the vet team about just trying an over-the-counter antacid, when the dog just seems to like be low food interest, like maybe doesn't want to eat breakfast, that kind of thing. A lot of times we see a huge change in the dog's food interest and wow. It's like, Oh, the dog has like mild acid reflux and you would never know. Yep. Yep. And I've, I haven't had that a ton. I have, I can think of two dogs who mm -hmm. were um, just throwing up really regularly. Yeah. Uh, and it, it was one of those things where it's like, Oh, well, if I don't feed them on time, they throw up. And so I'm trying, like trying all these different food schedules and yeah. thinking that it's the treats and I'm kind of pushing those owners, like maybe let's get like a, a better idea of what's happening here. Right. Um, because that's not super normal for none of that's normal yeah. growing up all the time. Um, and a couple of them have landed on that. Those just over the counter antacids and it's helped mm -hmm. and their food motivation goes way up because they Talking. are not puking all the time <laughs> that seems really simple but it isn't always the case though that they're sick yeah definitely so sometimes it is really strictly pretty behavioral like they have anxiety about food they're not convinced that this triangular relationship is worth their while like they eat every day so they're not convinced that this this is a triangular situation they want to be in because they already have a relationship with food that's absent of you. I am not, and I don't think you are a person who says it's okay to starve them then. Like it's fine to just like, that's not okay. Right. And that's kind of the opposite. <laughs> totally the opposite. Totally the opposite. Yeah. What are, let's like, let's get into your hacks for this mm -hmm. stuff. So number one thing that I'm going to tell people just as like a simple thing to come in as a phrase right off the bat to keep in your head when I come into these cases where I do think it's strictly behavioral is more free food, more free food for the dog, giving them more stuff that they don't have to work for. And I think a lot of times when we have our maybe on the more traditional side trainers go the opposite route. Um, the hand, we've got like hand feeding every yeah every calorie. And then we've also got free feeding every calorie. And I feel like you're talking about a middle ground here. So yeah. get specific. Yeah. So what, what I try and do is get to where we are quote unquote, like working with the dog, but we're not really asking them to do things. We're just asking them to eat food for us and give delivering it in different ways. So we are playing food games with very low pressure. I am throwing food for you to go and chase and find it. I am doing scatters on the ground for you. I oftentimes just taking away, handing the food to the dog's mouth mm -hmm. makes a huge difference. A big huge, one. Huge difference. Just, um, and sometimes I'll have dogs who it's like, they, they have such a negative association with food used for training that, and maybe they've worked with other trainers before. So when I come into the house and try and feed them, they're like, I do not trust you. Uh, you're going to ask me to sit. And They're I like, I see your treat pouch. <laughs> I know all about you people. You are very sketchy yeah. and I am not <laughs> in this. And a lot of times what I'll do is while I'm chatting with that client, I will just put food on the ground, sit on the ground, turn myself away from it, not pay any attention to the Offering dog. It. Mm -hmm. and wait for them to come over and start eating it and still not pay attention to them. They they'll come over, they'll start eating the food. I wait until the food is gone and they probably have given me a little shoulder and walked away and given me a stink eye. Like they're waiting for the other shoe to drop. 
and then I'll drop more food and I'll continue to ignore them. And I will do that until they come up, they eat the food, they look at me and they go, can I have more in their own way? They look at me. That's literally them saying, I am now ready to enter this triangular relationship and you cannot do anything until they say that. Yes. And I often rank it like placing the food on the ground is the easiest for them. And then eating it out of an open palm Mm -hmm. and then trying to feed it between your fingers, like trying to feed it to them between your fingers is actually the hardest for them to accept because it's the hardest for them to do physically. How many people were like, ow, you bit me and got a little shitty with them for a second about it. Like change one thing. It would be like, can we all just start getting more comfortable feeding them like a pony, like putting it in your open palm and cupping it like under their mouth. Um, as well as yes, just on the ground is a natural, normal way for them to consume. Whereas like from your hands, I don't think we think about how that's not natural and, and actually it's a learned behavior. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's it's a, a social exchange. So then if they have that social pressure, that's hard for them. Yeah. And almost always, if I'm coming into a situation with an older dog who already has some of these issues, almost always that has food in and of itself in a training context has a negative ex- association, but especially food out of my hand. And especially I'll, I'll see it a lot with dogs who are asked to sit every single time that they get something out of someone's hand, because then they're like, you ask me to do something and then you offer me the food, but then you won't give it to me <laughs> until I do something else. And it's not fair and I don't like it. And I don't want yeah. to. Do Nobody it. likes to be tricked. Nobody yeah. likes to be kind of lied to about what the contingencies are. Right. Yeah. And it, and it happens all the time. And especially, you know, you, I see it all the time with people who have kids and you see the kids interacting with the dogs and it's constant going into giving the food and yanking their hand away, going into give the food and yanking their hand away. And a dog will very quickly give up on that. They will very quickly stop interacting and engaging with that. Even dogs that have like a moderately high quote unquote food drive you know, there are always dogs that will do, they will walk on the moon for food. You know, we've all met a lab that (laughs) you can do whatever you want there. That's why they are super biddable dogs. They are dogs that are known to be easy to train because they're very forgiving about that kind of thing. But a lot of dogs are not, they, they get very uncomfortable with that kind of thing and they don't feel like it's fair and they check out completely. Yeah. So I love, so you kind of said, you know, when you're first meeting this dog, you're just going to offer some food on the ground. There's not going to be any social exchange, not social pressure until the dog actually comes to you, says to you, Hey, I think I like that stuff. At that point, in my mind, I think a lot of people would jump straight to the training. Mm -hmm. You still have more steps in here. Way more steps. So talk about those other steps. So uh, the next thing that I need to do is teach this dog that I am trustworthy, that I am predictable, and that they can earn food, quote unquote, earn food from me in a way that feels fun and fair to them. So once they are asking me for that food on the ground, that's when I might introduce something like a find it, like go, go get the food. I make it really easy for you to go and chase the food. And I wait again for you to come back Mm -hmm. to me. I'm always waiting for that, like engagement of this is a cool, fun game. I like playing it. And that's actually usually when I will introduce eating food from my hand. So they're asking me to put more food on the floor for them. And then I'll introduce find it. And if they seem to be having fun with that and they're chasing the food down and they're pouncing on it, using their little paws to grab it and they're all excited, then I might say, okay, well, here's my open hand. Here's a piece of food when you come back on my open hand, ready for you. And I'll wait for them to eat that piece of food. And usually they're really timid about it. And if they're too timid, this is where it gets kind of like, it's a nuance that's hard to explain. That if they're like way back reaching out to sniff the food and it seems like they are really, really unsure about taking it, I'll split that down even further. And as they're reaching out to take the food, I will go ahead and drop it on the floor so that they can get it. So they're confidently taking that food out of my hand and I'll usually create a pattern. So if they're coming up, they'll take the food out of my hand one piece out of my flat hand, and then I will throw a piece of food for you to chase. 
because typically they like that game better and it takes the pressure off and gives them a chance to then loop back around and re-engage with me or say, give me the communication, which sometimes happens. I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready to eat food out of your hand. Don't do that to me again because they won't come yeah. right back to me. Yeah. And then I, and because I gave them that chance and I didn't keep them over threshold of, um, you know, well, now you're eating out of my hand. So I'm just going to keep having you eat out of my hand. Now I'm risking losing the dog again. Um, that they're just like, wow. God, you changed the rules and I don't like well, and what you're really describing Ash is just a clean reinforcement loop. Like the yeah. reinforcer at play is the tossed food. Yeah. And what you're actually building reinforcement behind is eating out of your hand. You're literally paying them for eating out of your hand by exactly. throwing the food away. And so, yes, if you then remove throwing the food away, it's before they're ready for that. It's essentially the same as asking for a nose target and then giving them nothing. Exactly. Right? Like it's yep. the eating out of the hand is needing to be reinforced by the tossed food. Yep. And it can eventually become the reinforcer in and of itself of course that's the goal right I mean you're heading there yeah and sometimes I have worked with dogs where the the kind of edge of their quote-unquote food drive like where they get with their food drive is that they can take my goal is always you can take 10 pieces from my hand and then I will throw something for you. I'll do catch, whatever your favorite thing is. Mm-hmm. Um, even if this is a dog that likes personal play better, they like um, toys better. If Because food is so much easier for me to use to teach most behaviors, I might still use that personal play or I might still use that toy as like a kind of delayed reinforcer. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, I'm going to communicate to you that you're doing the correct steps. Like if we're doing a shaping plan, with 10 pieces of food that I feed out of my hand in position of where I want you. And then we're going to take a break and I'm going to do this other thing that takes some pressure off and that you like more. And for some dogs, that seems to be kind of their limit. They're still enjoying eating the food out of my yeah. hand, I think, but not for too long. They, they have they have a limit. Vicious. They're like, this yep. is starting to feel too much like my trauma. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. That doesn't go away. Right. <laughs> maybe they just get bored, whatever. Um, Maybe the food loses. Yeah. The food loses some novelty. They get a little full. Like those are also real things. Yep. For sure. Here's what I love is that not once have you mentioned, you know, we're just going to need to get some raw seared bison. (laughs) Like you're not talking about climbing the ladder and making the food really, really important. And I think that's intentional. So talk about that. Yeah, I I never want to I never want to go so high value that the dog loses the ability to think because that's that's not the state of mind that I want a dog to be in and I'm also risking then working that dog over threshold and now losing that super high value food. Mm-hmm. It, it, I could have a dog that is, you know, that they're eating food okay for me in the house or even really well for me in the house, right? They're eating like a medium value food. I use a lot of fresh pet. Um, like I'm not, I'm not being stingy. I'm not making these dogs yeah. work for yeah. cardboard. cardboard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm using a lot of fresh pet. Maybe as soon as I go outside, they're turning that down, right? And it would be very easy for me to go and get the salmon skin out of my fridge and cut it up into little pieces and have this dog who's now got moon eyes and just is so focused on me and so, so excited. And I might, if I use that really strategically, I may be able to help get them lower and under threshold to where they're using eating the fresh pet again. Um, and I might use going up in value a little bit to try and get a dog more comfortable outside, but I'm not going to go like so high value that they can't think about anything else. Um, because now we're maybe outside on the street. I've gone so high value. You can't think about anything else. I'm working on, you know, healing next to me or doing a pet walk, whatever. And this dog is a little bit wary about cars coming by, let's say, and, that is why they were generally not taking food outside because they know a car might come out around any corner. Now they're so focused on me because I have salmon skin in my pocket. And also now my pocket smells like salmon skin. I don't like that either. So no. <laughs> the downside, but now a car comes speeding past us 
And now we have taken away the value of that salmon skin and the Mm -hmm. levels of food that I can use is going to end at some point. So if that's what I'm relying on, I'm not getting a clear picture of how the dog feels about things, which I need to train effectively. And I am risking poisoning food for that dog emotionally at higher values. And now it's even harder for me to come back from. You are. And do you find, you know, when I, when I see people switching the value of the reinforcer to something higher, when it's, we're asking the dog to do something that actually isn't a huge ask. Like I'd like the dog to walk next to me to sit, to nose target, to down, whatever. Like I'm not actually asking the dog to walk through fire, whatever. Not that I would do that anyway, but let's say that it doesn't feel like this needs to be a huge ask, which means that if you can't do it for like a medium value type of food, there's something else going on here. There's something else going on for you. And I want to be paying attention to that and mindful of that in sports. When people say, Hey, what's, you know, tell me a really high value food that I can use for my dog at agility class. And I say, well, why, like, why are, why are you after that? Cause there are reasons to reach for that, but here's what it always comes down to. Well, she just won't eat. Like she refuses food in that context. Well, if she refuses food in that context and generally speaking, doesn't refuse food in other contexts, then it is the context that is the problem and not your food. Yes. You want to address that context. You want to address the feelings that we're having about this context. Because if you're, if you think of eating as a behavior, as I do, the fluency of that behavior, you have lost it in this context, which means you need to split the context, not make the food more interesting. Yes. Yes. And I will use high value food. Absolutely. Situation. So like, um, my puppy pretzel is like my first sport dog. Um, he's a little bit nervous about new environments. And when we went to his first agility class, he was like, Whoa, (laughs) (laughs) he was the youngest dog in the class. Mm -hmm. He, I was nervous because I have never done, I've dabbled in agility before, but this is my first, like, this is a dog I want to compete with. So I have to do things right. And that's making me a little bit anxious. It's a really full class. Um, So there's a lot of other people there, a lot of other dogs there. And he was too nervous to take food when we first got there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the first thing I could have done is reach for, okay, well, I'm just going to use chicken, cheese, hot dog in this class. But instead I went, okay, I want you eating kibble when it's not your turn. Yeah, I I need to know that you can eat kibble when it's not your turn before we're going to take a turn. I am not going to take you out into the middle of this room and try and teach you how to do these new complicated obstacles that you need to be thinking through in order to be safe, where you could hurt yourself until I know you're comfortable here. I'm not going to be asking you to think and solve complicated problems, do new things until you're comfortable here. And once he was taking kibble in the crate, then I went out and I used my pieces of hot dog to teach the new things because now I'm asking you to solve a complex problem. You deserve to be paid well for that. Yes. That, that would have been my exact answer too. Ash is that I want you eating kibble because I know your baseline is eating kibble. Like you are okay eating, like you eat kibble, you work for kibble. If I know you're comfortable enough to eat kibble, that's when I feel safe reaching for my high value stuff, because now what I'm going to ask you is legitimately hard and you should be paid appropriately for it. I'm exactly the same. If I am in an environment where my dog is refusing my lower value stuff and just hint y'all, like I'm never using something they don't like. Yeah. (laughs) Say lower value. It's the bottom rung that I will use, which means that they want it. It's just not salmon skin. Right. So If I offer you kibble that you normally will eat, then I know, and you won't, then we're staying here until you can. Mm -hmm. And this is where people, they whip out better food, or honestly, a lot of times in my world, they whip out a toy instead. And a lot of the dogs that are purpose-bred for sports literally come out of the womb, like attached to a tug toy. And it is so interesting to them and they so want to do it that you can really 
you can really override a lot of those feelings with that tug. So I love the the distinction of, yes, I'm going to use really high value food for these really hard tasks that I'm going to ask you for, but I'm going to use your ability to eat normal food to tell me if I even have any business asking you those questions. Yeah. It's just, a, it's a threshold test. I, I am testing your threshold and you can be over a certain threshold. And I find that acceptable. You at home, he can learn new things, new complicated things for yep. people. Totally. You, he, he can learn how to do just about anything in the living room for kibble. But in this new environment that I don't expect you to be 100% comfortable here. I just don't. Like, I, I do not expect you to be just as comfortable in this agility class as you are in our living room. You don't live here. <laughs> you don't live in this agility oh. class. You live with a lot of dogs, but you don't live with seven other dogs. <laughs> like we, This is not a super comfortable environment. But the threshold that's acceptable to me is that you can eat kibble. That is, that is my acceptable threshold for you to go and learn new things in an environment. Uh, other, otherwise, I just, I don't think it's fair to him and it's going to fall apart at some point. Yeah, it's We're not fair and also it will fail. <laughs> yeah. It is going to, it is going to fall apart. It, I might make it through the class. I might teach him some new things, but it's going good, at good some luck next week. Yeah. <laughs> good luck next week when you show yeah. up. Yeah. At some point it's going to fall apart. So let's say you get a dog that shows up for training for you and it's like, uh-uh, I don't eat from you. Like I'll eat in my crate if you leave the room, but like, we're not, I'm not eating from you. I can see everything that you've said so far, turning that dog around. How quickly do you expect that to happen though? Like, do you have, I, I tend to have like cutoffs that aren't, aren't real, but they're just kind of my patience level probably where I'm like, if it's not happening by this number of sessions, I'm probably going to reroute. Like I'm probably going to pivot where, what's your general expectation? Like, do you tend to kind of flip these dogs quickly with their food interest? Yeah. I would say that I want to see improvement every session immediately immediately I want to see improvement or I'm doing something wrong if I can't get this dog to eat the person is is wasting their money (laughs) paying me because we're not learning anything um so I'm going to pivot very quickly if I am not seeing improvement so if I am coming in somewhere and I'm spending my first session with people is 90 minutes if by the end of that 90 minutes that dog is not eating I am going to either come up with a new plan. If I have something else in my head for a new plan for next time, I'm going to come up with that. If I don't, I I need to ask for help from somebody because I can't just continue on that. Like I can't, I can't just come in for a second session and sit there and stare at each other. (laughs) Sit there and throw food at the dog for another hour. (laughs) I'm not going to come back and sit for another 60 minutes with me and the dog staring at me. Generally, what I'm hearing is that doesn't happen. You go in. And you get the meeting in the first session. Yeah. That's what yeah. I'm here. I, I can't, besides those sessions long ago that I don't like to think about, I cannot <laughs> think about. Besides the uh, sessions that revisit us at 3 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> when a dog wakes us up and then we can't go back to sleep because remember that case we screwed up? Yeah. Yeah. yeah besides that. Yeah. I cannot think of a time where I didn't at least get a dog eating food that I had offered by the end of our first session. Maybe not every piece of food that I offer, maybe not out of my hand, but they are eating food that I am offering and I can work with that. I can get somewhere from, <laughs> even if it's, so this this dog will not eat food with me in the room, but they'll eat food if I drop it and leave the room. I can work with that. I can yeah. absolutely work with that. That's I can- place to go, there. yeah, yeah. Do you find it difficult then to- involve the owners because sometimes I find that the dog will pretty readily take food from me because they don't have a relationship with me and this is brand new and they're like well you've never tricked me yet and they're kind of a more optimistic type and they're like well you haven't tricked me yet so it's fine but they're like but that guy he tricked me a lot of times so where is your like do you find that you can transfer this easily to the owners or do you do you have them go through the same process like what does that look like 
So I am at the point now where I do almost 100% day training. Um, so my first session is with the owners and then I'm day training from there. Um, and there's that's a whole other can of worms as like what cases I'm taking, what that <laughs> looks like. Um, but just with this specifically, I give the... I give the owners handling skills, not necessarily training skills, right? Because I'm training the dog to do things. So I'm not going to have to go in and teach the owner how to shape a behavior. Um, unless they want to, some of them do. And then, then we do it. A lot of them don't. That's just kind of the people that hire me for day training. They're like, fix it. Yeah. <laughs> fix it. My day training is great because that's a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, make him better. So I am going to teach them um, a, a couple of food games. I'm going to work with them on those food games, um, get those food games to be predictable. So things like find it, things like come and take the treat and then throw the treat. And then I am taking the dog for these day training sessions. I am teaching them the behaviors. I am handing off how to ask for those behaviors to the owner. And now the owner knows how to reinforce the behavior. So they don't necessarily need a ton of skill when it comes to this, because I'm going in and I'm helping the dog trust the food more and find the pattern in the way that I'm delivering food. I teach the owner that pattern for delivering food, and then they can use that just to reinforce the behaviors that I've already kind of instilled in the dog. When I did private coaching, it was definitely a little bit harder um, because we had to talk a lot about splitting criteria fairly, about um, just like the concept of errorless learning and all of that stuff. And it was definitely harder. And when, when I have owners now that are interested in that, which I certainly still do, there are people that sign up for day training that they want to be more involved and we still do all that stuff. Um, but I do find it pretty easy when I have those more hands-off owners who are like, I got a dog because I wanted a dog. <laughs> I didn't get a dog to be a dog trainer. I want my dog to be happy and I want my dog to be well-behaved, but I'm not super interested. I want you to train the dog. That's what I'm paying you for. Um, of course, I can't, I can't do everything. Um, you know, we all know we have to work with the owner, uh, but I do find I can teach some pretty minimal food skills with them. And it's pretty easy for them to then go in and just reinforce the behavior that the dog is now offering yeah. because I've reinforced it so often in so many different contexts. So essentially it is a, a pretty quick transfer once, once the dog has some skills that you've taught, yep. then the dog kind of trusts the scenario. Then the dog can do the skills for food reinforcement from the person. And that's more the direction that you tend to go rather than because most of your work is day training rather than trying to repair the relationship with food and the person yeah. while you go, which really does sound ideal because like you mentioned, like it's really difficult for people to split down finely enough, even if they're being coached, it's really hard for them to see those splits. Whereas if you know that you're seeing the splits and you can just start really, really bare bones, you can build up really quickly. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're lumping, you're not going to be able to climb as quickly. And that people get, you know, people get frustrated by that. The dog gets frustrated and then we're kind of back at square one. So it does sound like it's a, it's a relatively good, easy transfer. Yeah. Cool. And that's, I think that's why I end up with a lot of these cases and maybe yeah. why I now really enjoy these cases because I can just go take the dog, have them learn these patterns, build up that confidence around these patterns, this set kind of, this is the way food looks in training sessions now. And now I'm going to teach your owner how to do those patterns. And you've had a lot of practice in a lot of different places. Uh, and now you feel okay about it. And because the owner is not going in and trying to teach complex things and frustrating the dog again and making them feel like food is untrustworthy in a training context, we don't end up doing nearly as much backsliding. Yeah. And I, you know, that is a whole other conversation of how we should be working with our clients so that everybody's the most successful. But so let's say you get a puppy for day training and the puppy won't eat. And it really does feel like the puppy's just overwhelmed, like too, too scared, too worried about the situation. I'm thinking of a specific case I had actually probably 10 ish years ago where the puppy, it just wouldn't eat like, and it was nervous. And I could tell that the reason it wouldn't eat is because it was too scared to eat. 
And I had one thing that I was tasked with to get done with this puppy. And I did wind up getting it done without food because the puppy really would not eat. Are there situations where you would accept, okay, you're not going to eat until you feel more comfortable. So we're going to do other stuff until you feel more comfortable. Is that a possibility for you? Has it, have you run into that? Like, are there dogs where you just accept for a little while you're probably not going to eat? Absolutely. Absolutely. And if, if I can, I'm looking for trends. So I'm looking towards, I'm looking at trending towards more comfortable. And especially when I'm looking at a puppy, my go-to, and this may open a whole other can of worms because that's what happens. My go-to is social play with a puppy. Mm -hmm. If I can find a, it, it might be me. It's ideally another dog. If, yeah. if this puppy's comfortable enough and I'm really lucky to have uh, my puppy pretzel, who is just phenomenal with other dogs, yeah. he, he is worth his weight in gold with how good he is at convincing another dog to play, but in a very low pressure way. And with a puppy, especially, or even a younger adolescent dog, really any dog that doesn't, that seems kind of interested in it is a little bit nervous and doesn't have aggression issues. That's going to be my first go-to because typically I can, I can take you and pretzel somewhere and I can have you guys play. And then once you guys are tired, pretzels like mom food, and he comes back to me, he wants food. And now puppy's like, well, I feel better. I'm a little hungry because I've been better because I played. Yeah. Um, I I'm feeling more comfortable about this environment because it has been counter conditioned through play a little bit and, and I'm a little tired and I'm watching my new friend eat. You know, I, I've just been playing with this dog for an hour. He seems to trust you. So maybe I should try it. And I do use that. I, I won't even say sometimes quite a bit, especially with puppies that are huh. a little unsure. You mentioned two different things. And I think they're both important. Social play, really important. Different from toy play, really important. And obviously Dr. Amy Cook is like the God of that. And like we, I've had her on and we've talked about a lot of things, but it's really specifically the play that happens between two dogs and it can happen with a person, but like people generally not as good at it as dogs. And it's a big learning curve. It's a lot of education. Totally. If you can get them playing, I just did a puppy social visit this morning for a client's puppy who is a little scared of other dogs due to some obviously genetics plus experience, whatever. And she kind of didn't want to eat at first until she loosened up and started to play with one of my other dogs and then she was eating and then it was great the other thing though that you mentioned that I want to unpack a little bit more because I think especially with puppies absolutely get them socially playing and they're going to feel safer it just doesn't even matter what the context is if you can get them playing they're going to feel safer is that social learning a little bit of oh pretzel's eating and he's my friend and I trust what he's doing. I'm mean, they're so, especially puppies, but also adolescents, really, really malleable in that way. Mm-hmm. That they're like, oh, what are the cool guys doing? Oh, pretzel is the cool guy and he's eating food. So maybe I'll go eat food. Yeah. Or like I joke that all of my dogs are starving to death. And so anybody who comes and stays here with me with their dog, like I had a friend who come and stay whose dog was super picky. And like by the time she left, he was also starving. <laughs> I, I have four dogs and you could go in, I could call one dog into, I could call Gia, my little, my trash baby, who is scared of everything. I could call her into the room and offer her, let's say like a carrot or something where she's like, what, this is new. I've never eaten it before. I don't trust it. I don't want it. What are you trying to do? She will sniff that and she will walk away and she will glare at you from the corner of the room. But you bring the other three in and you give them yep. that carrot and they eat it. She's right up right up in there like oh, okay well she ate it give it to me okay. <laughs> I want to try it now <laughs> this good. is so true we've all had that experience where we're cutting a cucumber or whatever and you're like there's no way you're gonna eat this and then the dog that will eat it eats mm-hmm. it and the other dog is like I want it I want to try it it's so funny. Use it to your advantage. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it seems like something, oh, well, I could never incorporate that into a training plan. Yeah, you absolutely well, of course can. You can. Absolutely incorporate it into a training plan. You know, training, training doesn't have to be this one thing. 
Let, I can take I can take your dog and have a little play group or do like a, a group hike in a safe spot with the, a new day training client dog with dogs that I trust and dogs that trust me and are taking food from me. And by the end of that session, I can have this dog really excitedly eating food because they're seeing everybody else do it because they're playing because we're running around because they're getting more comfortable with the environment. And you, they can learn a lot when you're working in groups from each other. They really can and they do. And I think generally people kind of fight that rather than just use it. Use it. Use I, it. Maybe it's the chaos demon in me. <laughs> I love, I love doing a session where I've got like five dogs and I am doing different things with all of them. And I am running around trying to figure out how I can keep these four on these cots while also working. <laughs> It's super, super fun. It's, it, it just, it's loose and fun and wiggly for everybody. And they can learn a lot, especially if I have a dog who I, I usually will have different experience levels here and they're learning a ton from this super experienced dog who is doing exactly what I asked, who is getting reinforced for it. And they're like, well, I want to lay on the cot too, but I, I will usually use pretzel. He'll go right to his cot and lay there and be like, I know what to do. And he looks so proud of himself that he figured it out and everybody else is just still running around clueless. And I start feeding huh. him and they're all like, well, they go, wait a minute. <laughs> that guy's eating. Yeah. And they'll come over and I'll just stare at them. I just posted a video the other day where like I, I told pretzel to go on his cot and these other two puppies came over and I asked them to lay down and they just stared at me. Like they literally were like, what? I, I know, <laughs> I know this cue, but I don't know it in the context of a, I have just been playing with two other dogs. Yeah. I don't understand it in the context that we've been playing. Pretzel does. So now I'm just feeding pretzel and they're like, Hey, <laughs> like how, wow. how getting fed and I'm not. And their little brains are working. And finally they plop right down and they get fed and they, it, they learn it so quickly because they have this frame of reference that this other dog is getting fed for something why and they'll figure it out they they are smarter than we sometimes give them credit for they really are the other thing that i don't think we give them enough credit for and i do think in the food conversation this is extremely relevant is how much they learn from each other mm -hmm. And the picky, you know, I'm using the label of picky, but like those dogs that are just kind of like, mm, I don't know if I like that or like, honestly, nothing makes me crazier. Like I hate it when I offer a dog a treat and they're like, mm, and they like sniff it <laughs> like, oh my, I'm like, eat it. <laughs> I'm like, just eat the treat. Like, and all of my dogs are sharks. Like, mm -hmm. uh, and obviously this is a me thing. Like, obviously I have shaped this behavior, but I do think like those dogs, they're either in a group of dogs that's also like that or they're only dogs. Mm -hmm. They don't live with a dog that's starving to death. Like it almost never. And if you can get them in a situation where everybody's eating, eating is actually a social behavior for dogs. They, you know, in the, I'm putting in the wild in quotations, but like, if you observe dogs that live on the street and they populate around garbage dumps and things like that, like they're all gathering where the food is to find the food and eat it and go. And how do you think that they know what they can eat? They see the other dogs doing it. How do you think that they know, you know, this alleyway behind this sub shop is really prime. Like they know because they saw the other dog's behavior. So using other dogs to your advantage. And I can think of in like a training context, you just let that other dog who's, who's not super sure about you, not super sure about food, just observe you feeding another dog. Yep. And how quickly they come over and they're like, well, this doesn't look so bad. Mm-hmm right? Yeah. It's, it's always really helpful if I go into like a, a home where there's maybe a newly adopted dog who is weird about food, but they have a sibling who's not. A lot of times I will go into that house and I spend, you know, 15 minutes feeding the sibling. And then the other dog comes out and is like, me too. I yeah. can be a dog that it's not even necessarily a food issue. It's a stranger issue. 
But watching watching a dog that they know, even if it's a dog that they've only known for a month or so, and they don't have a super close social relationship, but watching that dog eat food from me, they're going to get curious. They're going to come up and want food too, they're, or at least want to know what's going on. And it's, I think that we don't enough use that to our advantage. I think that I think especially our plus trainers are guilty of this a lot of the time of not allowing social learning to be a big part of our teaching, because I think sometimes we associate it with like pack fairy thinking and crap like that. And like, in reality, of course, they could observe and learn things from their own species. Like how dare we think that we can teach them better, honestly. And so I love that that's also a part of your process sometimes with these dogs and especially if they're coming to your place for day train and they are with all the other dogs how I'm sure that the food issue does not stay an issue very long in that situation yeah I once a dog I can't think of a single time where a dog has come into my house and has been friendly and safe to be around the other dogs right Uh, and we have had that issue for more than 20 minutes (laughs) like it just Ah. Amazing. Goes away so quickly. Um, and once they've practiced that behavior of eating food, even like around other dogs, it's a totally different context, right? Where we're in my backyard or wherever, we're in my training room or wherever, I can then take that dog out of the group usually and go somewhere else. And they might be a little bit unsure about eating the food in this new context, but they've practiced it. And now it's easier for them to access in this new environment and with these new rules surrounding it where now, okay, I know that maybe I was just asking you for kind of known behaviors, or maybe I was even just like delivering the food in a position for you guys to lay down away from each other and stop trying to steal it. (laughs) from my. But now, you know, we're in the training room and we're alone. And now I'd like you to, you know, maybe try, maybe try and touch this box with your paw or whatever, like whatever thing I've decided to split down to. And they understand the picture and they're feeling okay about eating food. And so they might try that thing. And now we're getting somewhere. Now we can really build into training very quickly. Really quickly. And how cool is it that this doesn't need to be a fight or an argument? And I do hear some people saying, well, but my dog will resource guard in that context. And then I'm just going to clap back with, then we're not talking about your dog. And even if they're so, going to resource guard food, we're probably not working on their interest in food. Yep. So I find it not that hard to work out actually. Nope, not at all. All of my, you could consider all four of my dogs to be resource guarders. We yeah. have had fights over food way, way in the past with very, very different like circumstances. In fact, those circumstances were directly related to like the impulse control exercises that made the resource guarding way worse, which is a, a whole thing. Luckily not resource guarding at me, but they were just like, well, I'm not comfortable resource guarding from you, but my brother, I can beat him up. So <laughs> we're going to take it out on the little one over there. I find that they take food just fine in a group dynamic. I, I can think of a small handful of dogs where I do not feel safe feeding them around other dogs, but it's not super common. It's not a big percentage. In fact, I have dogs that I would absolutely label resource guarders, especially towards other dogs who I can feed in a group scatter in the Mm -hmm. grass. As long as it's a true scatter, it's not like three kibbles on linoleum. It's not a scatter. So it's a handful in grass where we're snuffling. Yep it tends to work out really well. So I do think that that's kind of, I'm just heading off that argument that I feel is irrelevant. (laughs) Ash, this has been really interesting and I really want to thank you for your time. Is there, or let everybody know where they can find you if they want to know more about what you do. Yeah, so if you go to my website, it's positivepupsacademy.com, P-A-W, a pun. (laughs) Um, A very original pun. There is, I do have some virtual options coming available right now. Um, If you go, you can sign up so that you get notified when those happen. Uh, And I do have specifically a like low food drive, food refusal, whatever you want to call it course that is like 90% done 
Um, I just need to like film the exercises, get those edited and put on there and then that will be launching. So people specifically wanting to do this and look more that will be available. That will be available, um, which will be, it's kind of framed in like step-by-step step of looking at a case and how I would address a case. So it would work well both for trainers who are just looking for like, oh, how can I address this in a broader context and mm -hmm. owners who are looking for like my specific dog. Excellent. That's great. Awesome. I'll be sure to link that for everybody. Hopefully I just convinced you to finish the course. Yeah. So yes. that everybody who listens to this will run over and buy it. They would I, like to know more. That I was going to be able to finish. I, I my goal was to finish it before today, but you well, know the best laid plans. I trust yeah. me. I know all about it. Thank you so much. This has been so fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe and leave me a review. If you'd like to support this podcast, head over to patreon.com slash cogdogradio. You might even hear me answer your question on the show. For more content like the stuff you heard here, check out my online courses at cog-dog-classroom.teachable.com.